0: feel like I've been to church. How do you feel? So good to be here together with you. We're continuing our um, series we've just called Stuck. How many of you have ever felt stuck? Yeah? You ever been stuck before? Yeah? Some of you are so stuck you couldn't even lift your hand when I asked. You just sat there. You were stuck sitting on your hands, I think, or something. Hey, but we feel you. You know what I mean? We've been there. How many of you um, have ever watched the Jerry Seinfeld show? This isn't a test. Nobody's in trouble. How many of you have ever watched the Jerry Seinfeld show? Okay. You know the, the character George Costanza, right? Poor old George. He, he, he never could you know, have a good day, it seemed like. George failed at almost everything he tried, and he uh, lacked basic self-confidence. He was always second-guessing himself, and there was one episode of the Seinfeld show where he, he thought he had figured out a way to beat this. You know, He said, look, uh, I have failed so many times in my life because my instincts are wrong. You, you're, how many of you remember this episode? You know what I'm talking about? And, and he thought, if I, if I would just ignore my natural instinct and do the opposite of everything that comes natural, may, maybe, maybe that would help. So uh, any of you remember this episode? Anybody? one of you. That's incredible. I feel so encouraged. So George walks up to this beautiful woman who is just leagues outside of where he's at. And here's what he says: "Hi, I'm George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. Would you like to go out with me? He's going to do the opposite. She said, yes. (laughs) She said, yes. Can you believe that? Bam, problem solved. You know what? We can go home. That's the whole sermon. If you're stuck anywhere, do the opposite. No, 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 I'm just kidding. How many of you know that only works in sitcoms, right, Where, where all the problems are wrapped up at the end of 30 minutes and three commercial breaks? That's not real life. But what George was saying is, like, I'm stuck. I basically keep doing the same thing the same way over and over again in this series we've talked about being stuck in emptiness being stuck in busyness being stuck in circumstances and today I want to talk to you about being stuck in routine in routine now what I don't mean is establishing good habits what I mean is you are stuck doing the same thing, the same way, over and over again. You're not making any progress. You're not growing. You're just stuck. And, and, and nothing, there is no spiritual advancement in your life. There's no spiritual growth in your life. Look, you, you may know someone who, who was a young Christian, who had hang-ups and habits and problems, and for those of you who have been saved long enough, maybe you run into them five or 10 or 20 years later and they have the same, the same hang ups and the same habits and the same problems. And it causes you to ask yourself what does that mean? Well, it means they're stuck. They are living the same problems over and over again, the same stresses, the same fears, the same habits. We've talked about fear a lot. If I were to say to you, hey, you are going to be battling with the same fears 20 years from now that you are today, you would be discouraged. But the truth is, some people do. But you don't have to. You can get unstuck. You don't have to live just the same pattern. We get stuck accepting patterns of living that are well below what God intended for us. We get stuck just getting through another day and reliving those same things like a broken record. Someone once said insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. There has to be a different engagement. This is why it's so critical that you and I grow spiritually. Now, you and I often go through life, and most people go through life completely unaware. I think particularly in the South, maybe because of our, our cultural version of Christianity, we go through life completely unaware of the price that we pay because we do not grow. We think about growth as an option. We think about growth as an add on, like leather seats in a car. We think about growth as the cherry on top or icing, or that's a nice thing to have if you have time to invest in something like that. But if you don't, it's okay. It won't really matter. It does matter. And the body of Christ oftentimes pays a deep price. And families and marriages and children and parents and individuals and sons and daughters of God pay a deep price because they are stuck in routine and there is no growth. Let me say it this way. If you don't grow, you will fight tomorrow's battles with yesterday's ability. Say it again. If you don't grow, you're going to fight tomorrow's battles with yesterday's ability. I don't like those odds. So how do we get unstuck from the routines that hold us back? If you've got a, um, something to write with, I encur- I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures today. And so it, you either turn your Bible on or open it however you do it. Um, if you're going to take some notes, I encourage you to look in the scripture with me this morning. Let me give you three, three ways that you can grow that will help you get unstuck in, in what we're calling routine number one. Grow in grace 2nd Peter 318 he just says it but grow this is the last verse of 2nd Peter the last verse of the entire letter but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ what does it mean to grow in grace let me give you the short answer and then I'm gonna give you the long answer The short answer is, to grow in grace is to grow in your salvation relationship with Jesus. To grow in grace is to grow in your salvation relationship with Jesus. Now let me give you the long answer. There's another place where the Apostle Peter talks about growing. There's only one other place that he talks about growing. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2 2 and 3, listen to this, like newborn babies, comma, it's important you put the comma there, crave pure spiritual milk. In other words, he's saying, newborn babies do this, be like them, and crave pure spiritual milk so that by it, watch this, you may grow up where? Where? You may grow up in your salvation salvation is not an event it's not a moment it's not well I was lost and now I'm saved and now I go back to what I was doing it is something I grow up in grow up in your salvation now watch this now that you have tasted that the Lord is good man the Lord's good God's good and now that you've tasted now that your appetite has been whetted man keep eating keep drinking keep drinking Keep going. Craving pure spiritual milk will help you grow in your salvation. The problem is, what does that mean? Do we pass bottles out? I mean, how does that, how does that look? We give pacifiers to all the Christians? What are we talking about? For those of us who have been Christians for a while, our instinct is to read this verse like this. Crave the Bible. That's our instinct. But that's not what this verse means. Now, I'm I'm, going to try to bring a nuance this morning that that may seem too small to matter. But it really does make a big difference, and and I hope I am effective at showing it to you. The best way to understand this verse is to think about pure spiritual milk as God's message to the world about Jesus. Now, you, you, know, you, you may say, isn't that the Bible? Uh, hold on. God's message to the world. So pure spiritual milk is what God has to say about Jesus. Why does this matter? Because our faith is not built on a doctrine. It's not built on a principle. And it's not built on an organization. Our faith is built on a person. And his name is Jesus. And we're the only religion in the world whose founder was crucified, died, predicted his own resurrection, and then pulled it off. So, so we got to get this straight. Our faith doesn't hang anywhere else. Our faith isn't in the Bible. Our faith is in Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm for the Bible. I'm not, don't mishear me. But our faith is in Jesus. Now, you're not going to grow in grace just by becoming more polite. That's not what growing in grace is, is become more polite and become more kind. That might be a, uh, a sign that you're growing in grace, but establishing those social habits, those social skills, it's not the same thing as growing in grace. You're not going to grow in grace just because you learn to forgive yourself more. Growing in grace means growing in your personal relationship with Jesus. Now back to the question, isn't that the same doesn't that mean read the Bible? No, because you can read the Bible and not grow. It depends on how you read it. Listen to what John 5:39-40. This is Jesus talking. Jesus, the founder of our faith, He's talking to the Pharisees. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about who? About Jesus. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You're not just trying to know more, that's not the deal. People, you just quote the Bible A to Z. And, you know, you wouldn't trust them with your children. Right? I mean, mean, just tell the truth. Yes, read the Bible. I'm not saying don't read the Bible. But don't read it to feel better and don't read it to learn more. When you read the Bible, when you open the book and look at it, look for Jesus. He's in there. Look for him. Look as you read the New Testament letters and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the epistles and the prison epistles and all of that. Look in Romans. Look in Ephesians. Look in Colossians. When you read the Bible, look for Jesus. Look to meet him. Look to understand him. Look to know him more. It's not about loving the Bible. Jesus is the pure milk. He is the pure nourishment of salvation. John chapter 1, 14 says it like this. The Word became flesh. Uh Uh-oh, what does that mean? He done jumped up off the page and got in a body. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace. Who else could that be about? So let's word this a little differently, okay? Crave pure spiritual milk could be said this way Crave Jesus. Crave Jesus. You know, craving's an interesting thing. I, 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 go, I go backpacking uh, about once or twice a year, and we do, you know, 12 to 17 miles. And when you're out there carrying that 35-pound pack, those trails get long. And you eat on the trail and, you know, you eat trail mix and, you know, canned tuna fish. And it's incredible, I mean, really, when you think about it. And freeze-dried meals that I think astronauts eat on, like, day 89 orbiting the Earth, you know. And, and uh, you heat them up with boiling water and you, you look at each other there with your little flashlight on your head. And you lie to each other and say, boy, isn't this good? And it's not good. But, you know, you don't want to depress one another, so you just play this game. But, but, but here's what always happens. We have a tradition. When we hike out the last morning, we get in the car and we get on our phone... And we ask the GPS to lead us to the nearest Cracker Barrel. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> always, always Cracker Barrel. And we go and we have fluffy pancakes. I like pecans in mine. Steeped in syrup. With over easy eggs and lean bacon and milk and biscuits and jelly. Oh, somebody's feeling it. <laughs> and can I tell you, it is absolutely the best meal I eat all year long and when the trail gets long and the rice gets hard crunchy <laughs> you know what I'm thinking about it's okay it's okay go ahead and feed me the worst thing you got because this time tomorrow I'll be by the fireplace in Cracker Barrel eating pancakes <laughs> and it'll all be okay and and, and, and what I'm actually doing As I'm walking down that trail, is I'm craving Cracker Barrel. Now, now that's what a craving is like. It's listen to this: it's when everything else is unsatisfying to you but what you are craving. You ever have a craving? How's your craving for Jesus? Has everything else become unsatisfying to you? That's how you know how strong your craving is, except Him. Nothing else will satisfy your craving and your soul but Him. How's that going? If you want to get unstuck, crave Jesus. How? (laughs) However, anything that increases your craving for Jesus, man, do it. Prayer, worship, soak, church, serving, reading your Bible, reflection, solitude, meditating on Scripture, fellowship with other Christians. If you want to grow in grace, increase your craving for Jesus. And I guarantee you, you'll start to get traction. Something will start to happen inside of you and you'll get unstuck. Number two, grow in grace. Number two, grow in wisdom. One of my favorite verses, just because it's so intriguing to me, is Luke 2.52. And Jesus, this is before the miracles, this is before the teaching, before the public ministry, before he had disciples, it's before all of that. Listen to what it says. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe Jesus reached his full potential? I mean, it would be hard to argue that, wouldn't it? How How could he not? Do you believe Jesus reaches full potential? If you do, how did he reach it? He grew. See, one of the prices that you and I pay for not growing is we don't reach our potential. Jesus grew. I'm willing to bet if Jesus needed to grow, you and I need to grow. Jesus grew, and specifically, he grew in wisdom. By the way, I think this is a phenomenal verse for parents. I've used this verse as a guide for prayer over my, my two boys' life, most of their life. So I would pray for them. If that's how Jesus, if that was Jesus' development path, it must be pretty good. So I would say, Lord, touch, touch my boys today. God, I pray that you'd help them to grow in wisdom. And I, help the, I pray that you'd help them grow in stature, and, in health, and strength, vitality. I pray that you'd help them to grow in favor with God. Lord, I hope they'll become pleasing to you. And I hope that you, I, I pray today that you would help them grow in favor with people. Give them good relationships and make them wise in building good relationships. That's a good prayer for parents, by the way. What what does the Bible mean when it says wisdom? Well, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, wisdom is not this ethereal, um, uh, theoretical thing. Wisdom is a very practical thing. The word most often used in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. If you go back to the, the Hebrew language and you find the word that's most often used for wisdom in the Old Testament, it means skill in living. It means a person that is skillful and just being a human and just carrying on life and just doing the things that we humans have to do. And the New Testament is a very similar, it's a very practical uh, definition too, and it has to do with the application of knowledge and it has to do with timing. All right? So, So how many of you know you can say exactly the right thing? At exactly the wrong time. And how many of you know it would be just as bad to say the wrong thing? Right? The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. And so wisdom has to do with timing. When is this right? So knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. You and I live in the most knowledgeable times ever. Do you know how many conflicts are resolved because of the amount of knowledge that we live in? We oftentimes talk about, you know, the negative side, but let's talk about the positive. Do you know how many conflicts are resolved because of the um, knowledge? So so you take the question, let's say two people are arguing. Who was the running back with the most rushing yards in college football history? You know, this one says it was this guy, and this one says it was this one, and they're just arguing. And, And see, now all that goes away. You know why? Because somebody says like this, hey, Google. I'm going to sell this right now. Which running back had the most yards in college football history? And then they go, see? <laughs> right, have you seen conflicts in like this? Yes, of course you have. Just Google it. Do you have any idea what kind of research would have been necessary 30 years ago to arrive at that? you have any idea? You go to the local library. They bring you some crusty old book from the back after they used the Dewey Decimal System. Some of you don't even know what that is. You don't want to know, trust me. There'll be a corner in hell, somebody has to use that. Trust me. You get that, and they bring you some crusty old book, and you go, oh, well, it's out of date, that's 15 years old, what about all the running backs since then? And they go, well, it's on microfilm. Anybody remember microfilm? You, you know, you look at that little, all that little stuff there. Microfilm, you don't know what, some of you don't even know what that is either. Trust me, Also in hell. And then they say, oh, no, I'm sorry, down the mic. There's a new book that's out, but our library doesn't have it. We'll have to order it. It'll be in in two to three weeks. So you go, well, I mean, I can't argue that long. <laughs> Somebody call the Hall of Fame. Well, they're only open on weekdays. It's weekend. Oh, my goodness. Forget it. Let's just fight. It's easier. Well, that's how we used to resolve conflicts. By the way, it was uh, Donnell Pumphrey, San Diego State, 6,405 yards. I Googled it. Or, 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 let's say your kids ask you something. Hey, hey, Dad, what is it? And what do you do? Just just Google it. Anybody, any parent ever done that? Come on, tell the truth, I've done it. Hey, hey, when do you think? Google it. I don't know, and I'm not going to know the answer to all your follow-up questions either. Google it. In Jesus' name, Google it. Right? Right? You and I have greater access to more knowledge than ever, but it doesn't mean we have more wisdom. We are drowning in knowledge and starving for wisdom. When each one of our boys turned 13, uh, I took them on a a father-son trip. And before the trip, I had um, made a little book. I would reached out to family members and um, mentors and friends who I knew to be godly people. And I'd ask them one simple question. Would you write a letter to my son on his 13th birthday? And in the letter you write to him, would you just simply describe to him what you think a man of God is? Because I want to surround him with voices of other men who I believe are godly and I want to surround them with a vision of what they can be when they grow up. And so I gathered that little book and in my letter that I wrote to each of them, I only quoted one scripture and here's the verse I chose to write, this is how important I think this is, this is the verse I chose to write to my sons. Proverbs 23, 15. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. If your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. Wisdom is a, seems to be a fainting commodity in our times, and it's needed. If you're stuck in routine, grow in wisdom. Grow in the application of knowledge. How do you grow in wisdom? There's nobody better to listen to on this subject than the wisest man who ever lived, who God gave supernatural wisdom to, Solomon. Listen to what Solomon says in Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Listen to that. The fear... You you are at the beginning in your journey of wisdom when you start to fear the Lord. Now watch this. And and you begin to know God and gain understanding when when you begin to fear Him. Now if wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, what is the fear of the Lord? Let me give you, this is just my definition, you know, you you can make your own. Here's here's how I understand it. The fear of the Lord is the awareness and awe of God's presence. Here's how I mean that. The fear of the Lord is the awareness and the awe of God's presence. I guarantee you, the wisest people you know have two things in common they live in the awareness that God is always present, they don't count God out, They they don't operate like God's not there. They don't operate like there's pockets where God's not ever gonna be. They live in the awareness that God is always present, watch this, and they live in the awe that they are personally accountable to God for their life. In other words, I can't just do what I wanna do. I can't just say whatever I wanna say. I can't just spend my money any way I want. I can't just get on the computer and just fire off any comment I want. Why? Because one day I will look God in the eye, and he will ask me, why did you write that? And I'll have to supply an answer. And I'm saying to you, the people who are the wisest people you know, where they get their sense of grace from, where they get their sense of skill in living from, is they feel a personal responsibility to God for how they live their life. Now what Solomon would say is, that's the start of wisdom. (laughs) That's where wisdom comes from. As you walk in greater awareness of God's presence and your accountability to him grows, you will grow in wisdom. So how do you get unstuck? Grow in grace. Grow in wisdom. Here's the last one, number three. Grow in wholeheartedness. We get stuck when we give half our heart. Or or let me say it another way. When we are stuck, we give half our heart. It's the chicken or the egg. I don't know. You can probably get there either way. But here's what I know for sure. Passivity is spiritual death. Passivity is spiritual death. So, So you may say, so does God want me just to be a workaholic? No, 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 no. We already talked about being stuck in busyness. That's a different message. It doesn't mean never rest. It means when you rest, do it with all your heart. Rest. Turn the phone off. Put the iPhone X down. Tweeting is not resting. Right? Scrolling is not resting. If you're going to rest, do it with all your heart. Wholehearted means to be fully present and fully engaged. So look, when we come to church, man, we believe this is a church so much, and it may irritate some of you. That's why we're constantly asking you to do things when you come to service. Hey, everybody sing this song with us. Hey, everybody stand. Hey, everybody lift your hand. Hey, how many of you have ever seen the Seinfeld show? Lift your hand. You go, I'm not lifting my hand. That's why we're always, hey, it's time to give. Reach out and give. Hey, if you need prayer, come to prayer. Hey, you need to go to a group, go sign up. It's time to serve, go serve. We are constantly encouraging you and trying to mobilize you and try to engage you because wholehearted living is full life. It's where joy is. And so we do it in little ways and big ways and every way. And Justin was up here just a minute ago just saying, come on, come on, come on, come on. Because out there, you will die spiritually. So we got to make sure you live in here. So we we can't come in here and be passive. We can't come in here and just yawn and stretch and look around and lay out and go, you know. We can't come in here and be spectators. That's not what this is. This is not a spectator sport. It's not what Christianity is. Nobody's on the bench. We don't got a bench. There is no second string. All of you are first string. Are you here? So what does it look like to be wholehearted? Uh, Jeremy, our our worship pastor and youth pastor, uh, is my brother-in-law. And so before he was my brother-in-law, he interned with me when I was a youth pastor. And uh, he he wasn't married yet, and, and I'd been married a short time, a few years. And he and I used to play video games together. And so he goes, and he was always finding something. You know, he would find it, and I would play it. You know, I, I didn't know. He'd say, hey, man, there's this new soccer game. Soccer game. I think it was FIFA World Cup, something like that. New soccer game. Man, let's play it. Yeah, let's go. Come night. You know, about 10 o'clock, we'll play, yeah. Get some food, we'll play, yeah. I was like, yeah. So we got it. I think it was Xbox, you know. We're back there. And, and, and the way the game lays out is, I don't know anything about soccer, but Look, you got World Cup's like a big deal. I mean, for those of you that don't know anything about soccer, like I know because I played the video game. I mean, you know, of course, I know everything about it now. But, but man, you have to beat so many teams from other countries and work your way up the bracket and make your way to the world. We were not going to bed till we won the World Cup. I'm just telling you, it wasn't going to happen. And we sat there and played, played, and we were so engaged, we were so zeroed in, we totally lost track of time. Until my wife Stacy walks around the corner, and, she, and all I remember her saying is, "Really? How many of you know something bad's about to happen? <laughs> really? You guys are still playing that game? We almost won we we the World Cup! you know about to win the... We had totally lost track of time. It was 5 a.m. Like we won the World Cup, and the sun came up." She was not excited because we were supposed to get up that day and do some fun things. You know, we were all tired. You know, how many of you know? That's not, that, that, that didn't go well. But we lost track of time because we were, we were all in. We were wholehearted. That's one of the signs you're engaged with your whole heart as time goes by so fast. On the other hand, have you ever been trapped somewhere you didn't want to be? waiting hour after hour after hour, why does time pass so slow at the doctor's office? Why does time pass so slow when you're waiting in a two-hour line for a two-minute ride at Disney World? Why does time pass so slow at the DMV when you're just trying to get one of your kids a driver's license? In Jesus' name, let them drive. <laughs> because, because you're not fully engaged in the moment, you're just trying to get through the present to get to something in the future. That's called half-hearted. And I can tell you, when I'm in line at Disney, I am ha- I'm, not, I'm quarter-hearted. I'm not even full half. And, and it's miserable. Dr. Henry Cloud wrote a book called The Law of Happiness. Boy, I'd recommend it. It's a good book. In this book, he seeks to bring together biblical wisdom and modern science to reveal who the happiest people are. Wouldn't you like to know who the happiest people are? In one chapter, he describes a research project that refers to the sense of time loss as flow. In other words, when I'm fully engaged in an activity, I'm I'm in flow. And when I'm in flow... I don't even know what time it is because I'm I'm in flow. Because a person's so engaged in what they're doing, their enjoyment is so high. And Dr. Cloud suggests when a person's in flow, they may actually be experiencing, watch this, a little bit of eternity here on earth. Isn't that what eternity will be like? So fully engaged, there's no time? I mean, read Revelation. Revelation. From every tribe and tongue and every nation. And there'll be no sun because Jesus himself will be the light of that city. You think that's going to be engaging? What time is it? Who cares? I don't know. So ask yourself, what have you been giving your time to? Are you fully engaged in the things you're giving your time to? See, when it comes down to it, it usually comes down to choosing gratification over pleasure. Let me explain. Rather than numbing out on three hours of Netflix, I'm going to go read a book or pray or do something engaging. Rather than eating another dessert, I'm going to go for a walk. Instead of sleeping in and watching football, I'm going to get up and come to church and worship and pray. That's what it usually comes down to. I'm going to fully engage. I'm going to choose deep gratification over momentary pleasure. That's what it means to be wholehearted. And just before you think maybe this is psychobabble, let me show you what Colossians 3.23 says. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. It's working for the Lord, not for you. You know why? Because it's best for us. To work with our whole heart. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 says, Love the Lord your God with what? Come on, with what? All your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. How do you get unstuck from routine? Grow in wholeheartedness. Be fully present and fully engaged. And all in. The happiest people on earth are all in. They're not the ones laid back waiting for something to happen, yawning, unmoved. I've been there, done that, seen it all. Come on, impress me now. Those are not the happiest people. Man, the happiest people, are the ones that are on the front, going, when is my turn? I won't in. Let me in. They'll knock the door down. Grow in grace, grow in wisdom and grow in wholeheartedness. (laughs) And I'm telling you, you'll get unstuck if you don't pass it. You might shoot right past it. You'll get unstuck. You'll get unstuck. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to ask our prayer team to come. And everyone in the room, would would you... close your eyes and open your heart. Man, this is, this is a moment, you, speaking of engaging, this is a moment when it's time to engage. Boy, we've had such a good day today. God's presence is here so powerfully and lovingly and graciously. You can feel His goodness today. feel His strength today. I I I don't I don't I won't drag this out for you but as you're there still, eyes closed just listening Are you at a place this morning where you say, "You know what? I need Jesus." Now now if you're thinking I don't I don't need Jesus. I've I've already I'm already a Christian. No, 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 no. Don't misunderstand. Being a Christian doesn't take away your need for Jesus. It makes you more aware of your need of Jesus. (laughs) So whether you're a believer or not really doesn't matter. Today if you say, I need Jesus. I need to take a step toward Jesus. If you need to take a step toward Jesus if you need Jesus today, if you need prayer today, if you're stuck somewhere in your life, I'm going to invite you to make a wholehearted engagement. I'm going to invite you to take a step of faith. I'm going to invite you to come for prayer and meet Jesus here in prayer and let Him do inside your life what he's been speaking to you about he wants to do. So with every eye closed, if you're here today and you need Jesus, you need him to move, you need him to work, you need his help in your life. You need to take a step toward him. You can sense him calling you. It's time for you to grow. It's time for you to get unstuck somewhere. But you if you if you're stuck, you need God's help to get unstuck. You can't do it alone. But He is more than happy to help you. So as I begin to pray this morning, if that's you, I want you just to open your eyes and find one of the prayer team. Just look at them. Find someone that you can go and pray with. And as I begin to pray, I want you to come. And let's meet Jesus together this morning. Let's engage. Lord Jesus, I I thank you today for the grace of God that we felt in this place. I thank you for the strength that we now experience that is not our own. I thank you for the breakthroughs that are beginning to happen as we meet you this morning. Lord, I thank you for the miracles that are beginning to move. I thank you for the presence of God that is beginning to change the atmosphere over our life, begin to change our thoughts and our mind and our heart. Lord, I pray today as we meet you here, you would move in a powerful way. So as the worship team begins to sing, I want you to come now. If you need prayer, I want you to move. And I want you to take a step of engagement. Lord, we love you. Lord, you deserve it all. God is calling you. God is stirring you. God is moving on. Life. just look at the person next to you and say you know can I can I get out I need prayer today come on let us pray with you today